There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1049. Some wizard guitar tour news. Uh, first of all, I'll be in San Francisco this weekend, Feb 27 through 29, at the Punchline Comedy Club in the year 2020. Punchline San Francisco, Feb 27, 29. And I was supposed to be in Sacramento March 5 through 7. Um, I have to reschedule that. I. I humbly apologize that it's not something that I do lightly, but I'm shooting a few episodes of a television show, which I don't know if I can talk about yet, but uh, anyway, and uh, and one of the shoot days is smack dab in the middle of that weekend, and they cannot change their production schedule, so I was committed to that, and it just came up, and it's only ever in a case like this um, that I would have to cancel a show so i apologize but i swear swear i will reschedule uh sacramento very 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 shortly so uh that's that there are other dates that i am still gonna be able to do (laughs) well i will i'll reschedule sacramento will happen soon i promise we're gonna get the first available dates for sacramento and if you're not mad about the rescheduling then i hope you come out i hope you come out um, because the show's been really fun, and I got some songs to sing with my wizard guitar. But let's talk about you, the ID10T community, and the corkboard. Like Timothy, who writes, Some childhood friends and I took our favorite thing to do when we get together and turn it into a podcast called On Second Watch. We choose a movie from our past, discuss our nostalgia, and rate it. Then we re- rewatch the film, share our new experiences, and re-rate it. Did it get better with age? Should it stay in the past? We also share some trivia and other knowledge bombs along the way. If you're interested in joining us on a cinematic trip through nostalgia land, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcaster of choice. Uh, podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter to recommend our next movie. That is a that is a real slippery slope going back and rewatching stuff when you're a kid because it is it's a toss up. You know, sometimes it you know you get a golden goose, and other times it's just a soft turd. Oh my god, why did I think this was amazing? Or you know, some of the jokes are outdated and don't quite hold up anymore. And so it's uh, it's 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 a real crapshoot. <laughs> when you're going back and doing that. So I love that, Timothy, that you're doing a podcast about this because you can tackle all that stuff. Events at ID10T.com is how you get your thing mentioned on the podcast. This is Justin Willman, this episode, who is – he's been on the podcast before. Justin is a master magician and also has an incredible show on Netflix called Magic for Humans. Season 2 is up now and season 3 – 
is just around the corner. Uh, if you get a chance, you should see him while he's touring. His dates are at justinwillman.com, W-I-L-L-M-A-N. And I just love this guy. We, I've known him for many years. Um, we toured the same college circuits to get, uh, at the same time. Um, I did stuff with him at Meltdown, and uh, we did a pilot together at Comedy Central. And so it just – I am always rooting for this guy because he's such a sweet fellow and legitimately <laughs> – one of the most talented musicians I've ever seen. I'm laughing because it's that kind of anger-inducing. Like, when you see a trick, you're like, oh, fucking come on, what? Uh, so it is that. If you ever get a chance to see him in person, you absolutely should and watch his show. So here is the ID Tenty Podcast number 1049 with the magic of Justin Wilman. <sighs> Initiating ID Tenty Protocol. That for whatever reason I had the foresight to, I'm the pleased that I had the foresight, the floor sight, the floor sight <laughs> to get the floor from meltdown when you know when Gaston announced that he was closing it because this floor, like this green room floor, like so many amazing performers stood on this and it was just the sort of like that little backstage area just off to the side and. I don't remember what the story behind it was. It like, was like some art exhibit. That it was had. an art exhibit, and Gaston just oh. like chopped yeah. it up and threw it in and put, made it the floor. Apparently, it was like some expensive, famous artist or some shit. Uh-huh. And he's just like, yeah, it's a floor now. It's a floor yeah, now. and so now it's. I felt like, well, that has to live on. You know, I have I to mean, preserve that. That is a patina you couldn't recreate. <laughs> I'm excited for you, and I'm excited for your show. And just, I'll start off by saying that years ago, um. We produced a pilot for you at Comedy Central that was more in the vein of like, you know, Comedy Central would always try to like redo that Chappelle show format of like, you know, in in studio comedy and then you'd throw to sketches. And after I watched the first chunk of Magic for Humans, I remember saying to Lydia, like, I was always bummed that Justin's show didn't work out at Comedy Central, but I think this iteration like this this type of show was so much better for you than the one than had it been on Comedy Central like yeah. the the Netflix of it all. That was a blessing. I think um just it felt yeah, it, it feels like as soon as you're on the stage and and Chappelle of course that that format was so good, but it, I feel like there's this natural detachment from you and it's a right. show about humans and connecting, so just being out in the world the whole time. Feels well, but it's good. also that idea of like oh, you know, like when when Things don't work out and you get bummed and you're like, fuck, ah, you forget that it could lead to something or it could send you in a direction that's way better than the thing you thought you, that you wanted or the thing that you were bummed about. Yeah, because we did two pilots for Comedy Central. Oh, yeah. Another one that was even, I think, further off the right path, but we learned a lot, which was it was trying to be political, solving America's problems with magic. They really wanted, Comedy Central really wanted a political, which is why... 
you know, at sort of near the end of At Midnight, they had us at 11.30 because they didn't have another 11.30 show. And they were like, well, we really want another political show to follow The Daily Show. Um, and so we were like, but our show doesn't really work as a political right. – like trying to force politics into – it just wasn't. And so I think that was sort of part of the demise of, of At Midnight. Um, but – I, I remember saying to our shared manager, Alex Murray, after I saw the first season of Magic for Humans, is like, you, you've really managed to do something which I don't see a lot in, ma- in Magic, which is um, you're just yourself. You're just a dude. You're yourself. There's no – like you communicate just like a guy who happens to be a world-class magician. Mm-hmm. And it works so well because these stories unfold – Throughout the the sketches, or what, what do you call them? Like bits, sketches, bits, segments, bits. the segments, yeah. yeah, that I think works so well for you. And I said to Alex, like Justin is so comfortable on stage, and he's, I mean, uh, on this show, and he's so. And I remember in the earlier, like when we did your pilot before, there was talk of like, oh yeah, don't perform it, like just be you, right. and you really figured that out in a, in such a great way. So what was I, I that's all to front load. Um, and I know I'm saying a lot at once because there's a lot I want to talk about. But when Mike Furman and I used to do colleges and we do NACAs and stuff, and then you were also performing there is just incredible. Yep. And it was a very presentational act. So just give me an idea of your evolution because I just think Magic for Humans, you stuck the landing on that so beautifully. But that is the result of years of experimentation and work Years and of growing. not sticking the landing. Uh, well, well not, I'm not even saying not sticking the landing because you were an incredibly successful college act. Right, right. Which was a very hard thing to achieve. So you had a ton of success before, but to me, Magic for Humans is so much you. Like, it's so much you've really found your voice in such an amazing way. So I just want to hear about... Well, that yeah, that's what it is. I think for some reason it feels like it takes magicians longer to find their voice maybe than a comedian. And it takes a comedian, I think, a long time to find their voice. But in magic, it's almost like you're encouraged to mimic you're encouraged to you know uh you know model everything you do and say after lance burton or mac king or penn and teller or harry anderson you know so i think and and because you know most magicians are kind of performing in their own local markets or kind of doing their own things you know you can get away with not being fully original you know and i did for a while like i i had just there were hints of this and oh that joke is kind of you know a Mac King line or this and that and and you kind of get away with it until you realize you're stifling your own kind of success you've created mm-hmm. a ceiling for yourself and I think it really was a matter of finding obviously I think I had found who I am on stage you know and I and and as a performer but then to translate that to TV is is you know kind of the trial and error that we went through was figuring out. Okay, how can you don't perform? You know, like you know, you need to be on stage. You know, you're not doing the jokes in front of real people. If you're out in the real world, you know, who are you? Even though there's cameras filming and it is a fabricated situation, in that you know, everyone knows that you're on TV right now. But how can you kind of make all that disappear? And I think it just comes. And NACA, like all those years on the road, was very useful in in figuring out how to connect with people. You know, how to you're presenting magic, but you're not. There's not like a a pretense to it. You're not like some kind of this holier than thou right. uh, vibe. And I feel like uh, it just, it, it, I think logging those 10,000 hours and, you know, doing NACA for 10 years and, you know, you're kind of on from the moment you show up. So you're kind of, 
kind of you're kind of doing your act for the hour before the show, and then you got the show, but then afterwards you can kind of just the mingling, the meeting, and the 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 you know kind of trying to establish relationships and create fans. Like that's all part of that connecting experience, and mm-hmm. I think you just kind of figure out what works. And for me, it, I, I think maybe what what made those things not hit you know obviously the constraints of trying to do something for a comedy central they have something very specific they want but um with netflix i was able to do it at a time when i actually had some life experience to talk about you know like before i when i was in my 20s i think i wanted to have that show but i didn't know what the show would be about except magic you know right. so then uh in my 30s and then i you know get married at 30 Five and now I have a kid. It's like okay, now I actually can talk about stuff other than being a magician because yeah, nobody can relate to just being a magician. How know? do you have perspective on something if you don't know who you are? Exactly. And so it's almost like the greatest magic trick of all is figuring out who you are. But I love that you know John Stewart had a thing when he was doing the Daily Show that I never forgot that um, a producer told me that worked with him closely on that show that said you know John would always ask like what is this thing about. It's not just jokes. Like, yeah. what is it really about? What are you saying? And so even just to think about that, like, oh, wow. Because everyone as performers, it's, hearing you say that about magic, it's the same thing with comedians where you go, oh, that sounds like a George Carlin joke. Oh, that sounds like a Patton Oswalt joke. Or that's this, that's this, that's that. And so it is the sort – because when you start performing, you think it's this other thing. I have to be this presentational person because you don't know who you are yet. Right. And so it is – the constant journey, I feel like, of getting closer and closer and closer to the essence of who you are. And then once you figure that out, then the, then the machine can turn on and activate. And now that I know who I am, I know how I see things. Mm-hmm. And you've done such, you did such a great job of making Magic for Humans fun and relatable, but also really about stuff, like really about human dynamics and issues and things without feeling so heavy-handed. I think where that, I mean, where I kind of did the trial and error on that was even before the Comedy Central stuff uh, on the Nerdist YouTube network when that launched. Yeah. I did Magic Meltdown, which was a you know a web series that you were instrumental in, and uh, that was a chance to say, okay, if we could do a show about anything. You know, you were like, you know, you kind of uh, gave a great pep, pep talk about just um, how to approach this and, and how to make it, I think, magic that people kind of... Uh, that is just disarming and real and kind of reminded me the things that you liked about me and wanted to make sure those things were a part of the show. And we were like, okay, let's explore a different theme every episode. And I think in in Magic Meltdown is a lot of those little elements that became Mm -hmm. instrumental in Magic for Humans, which is, for me, like... You know, if you say, okay, you can make a ma- – let's do an episode, uh, a magic episode. It can be about anything. It's like overwhelming, you know. Sure. But, okay, let's do this episode about technology mm-hmm. and how magic and technology, you know, uh, join forces or compete. And now you've got parameters and then the ideas start flowing. And you're able to kind of talk about life stuff. Let's do an episode about love. Okay, oh, now now you – by giving me like lines to paint in, I found that to be a really – fruitful way to write and tap into your own stuff you know like a blank page is so intimidating you yeah know? absolutely but, but if you write a, a word at the top of that page and then okay okay now i can fill in the blanks a yeah bit. it's just like it's like staring at the google at the google page where yeah. it's like man i could learn about literally anything in the history of collected human knowledge i can just well i don't know what i want to know. i don't know it's too overwhelming it's like our brains need some direction i feel like they need some boundaries they need some you know, almost a little bit of an opposing force to kind of make us creative. 
to think creatively, you know, like the opposing force could be like, we don't have budget or you don't uh-huh. have time or you only have, you know, five minutes to do this or it's, or it's, this is a format and all those things I think activate the sort of creative genes that then kick in and allow you to sort of, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's like paint, painting around lines. Yeah. And I think for me, once I realized that it's not about like, okay, you're going to do an episode and you have to incorporate all the things that you know, you know? Okay, but but once I switched and I was like, let's do, let's explore the things that I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. what what am I curious about? What do I what am I confused about? What have I heard about but want to know more about? And I feel like that re- is more relatable to most people because most people are few people are experts on no one's an expert on everything. So by by being this curious person who happens to have a bunch of some magic skills and I, that's my kind of icebreaker foot in the door, I can explore. Uh, LARPing, puppy play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, recreate an experiment that I've always been fascinated about, but didn't understand why why that experiment works the way it does. Let's do it and add a twist to it. Like I feel like acknowledging what you don't know and using that as a catalyst for why you're exploring something is is uh, a relatable thing because there's a lot of smart people out there talking about what they know and no one needs to hear another guy pretend to know stuff. So. Well, also, like the more you sort of talk about yourself and your own experiences, the less you're really... Like I'm an expert, like you know, you you can be an expert on yourself, like that's yes, yes. that's okay. Yes. That, that's like when I used to do Chelsea lately, I kind of got to a point where I was feeling really bad about making jokes about people that I didn't know, and I said to Whitney Cummings, like I don't know, I feel terrible, I don't know these people, and I feel like I'm 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 you know like dunking on people that I don't even. And she goes, when I feel that way, I always just make the jokes about me. And I'm like that's great, and like it just never occurred. Of yeah. course, I'll be the butt of the joke, and then that takes that pressure off and then I'm not and I'm not coming off, you know, like a dick to anybody because no one can say like you yeah, know hey, hey, hey how I'm dare offended you be that mean you shit you. on yourself, you right, know. Right. Oh on that t- Our moms can say that. Your mom That's yeah, what moms, moms are for. That. You're being hard on yourself. No, the guy that you convinced was invisible. Yeah. Was there any concern that he might just like take his pants down and take a shit on the like I'm invisible? Like how- There was a lot of hope that hope that he would do that. <laughs> I mean that would have been that would have been great. I want to hear about the journey of like, and again, you know, like this is, I apologize to relate it to me, but these, but I'm so fascinated by the, because mag, magicians and comedians are cousins, very much yeah. cousins. Yeah. And so I want to hear about like what your child, like what's the childhood. And I'm a of child a, of incest. Of, 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 but <laughs> <laughs> What's the child of a the childhood of a budding magician look like, and how are you relating to other kids? And do in school do they think it's cool that you do magic, or do they think it's dorky, or like what's the how do you fall into how did you fall into it? And then like uh, I know you got a magic kit when you were younger, but yep. then like what was the pull, and how did uh, how did that manifest with other kids? Yeah, you know, I mean, I got a magic kit when I was maybe six or seven. After uh, David Copperfield or Harry Blackstone Jr. big show in town, you know, and my parents could see that I love magic. But as a kid, you know, you see see Copperfield on stage, you don't know that there's tricks. You know, he's he's a, he's a god up there. You know, so you get a magic set, and you're kind of like, wait, wait, wait. It's not just it doesn't just come with a wand that I can tap. Like you, right. there's there's this and there's parts and there's practice and then you're kind of like ah attention span overload. I can't handle it. So then I kind of ditch magic and you know you kind of get into a bunch of other hobbies. I came to magic again when I was like twelve. Because I was, I had broken my arms riding my bike with rollerblades on, and my sure. doctor, as we do, and yeah. my doctor recommended learning magic. So I took up card tricks while I had these casts on because I had time, and then I got the casts off, and I kind of really dove into magic. And I think um, 
I was lucky. I never, I didn't really get like bullied because I'm, you know, I was like the only magician in my school and people are always, there's like the connotation of like, I'm a little magician nerd, you know, getting bullied. But I, I found it to be this thing that for the first time made me special, you know, like Justin shows a trick, you know, like, uh, and I, I feel like sometimes obviously bullying people make fun of the person who does something that no one else does. Mm -hmm. That's often rooted out of jealousy, you know, like everyone else is special because they're on the team with 20 other people and maybe they're great at that, but there's nothing special about that. So magic was this thing that made me special and, you know, being able to do something that fooled my parents, you know, was a big thing because your parents are the ones who know how everything works. They Mm -hmm. teach you everything. So knowing how to do a thing that they don't know how to do is kind of like, whoa, like a little role reversal thing, which is nice. And I think, you know how like so many comics, I think, started, dabbled in magic as kids, you know, and I feel like that's because when you know that there's something in you that wants to perform, like there's, I want, I, I have something to say, but I don't know what it is yet, you know, and, you know, a 12 or 13 year old, rarely will they like start writing their own comedy, you know, you yeah. can, so the magic is often this thing that they turn to or discover that's a way to, you know, like, okay, there's a trick, I learn a trick, I practice the moves, I've got it, now... I can kind of work on the, the, the pizzazz, the presentation, and it's almost like a little bit of a crutch to – like a framework to figure out how to behave in front of people. And you kind of uh, – as a kid magician, obviously, I, I I was drawn immediately to people like Harry Anderson. You know, I loved him from uh, Night Court, yeah, the greatest sitcom ever. And, uh, you know, his style of kind of just this nonchalant trickster, but there were jokes and I kind of... The grifter. The grifter, exactly. Harry the Hat on Cheers. You know, and so I kind of incorporated, I liked incorporating comedy. Uh, but as a kid, you know, you, you kind of do the bo- the jokes you read out of the books mm-hmm. and they're off. The, you don't even get what the jokes are, but they work, you know, like those, right. just, just the hacking lines. But I just loved getting laughs and I loved having people be like, how the hell did you do that? You know, it kind of feels really great. And then I think... I was drawn to the entrepreneurial aspect because then you, you, know, you start gigging as a kid and getting my business cards made up. That's what my parents, my dad especially, was very, they're always very supportive of magic. My dad loved the magic, but he loved, he really encouraged, you know, the business side of it. Okay, let's, let's, let's book some gigs. People will pay you 50 bucks to do a show at their kid's birthday party. Let's do it. How and old are you at this point? 14, 15. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You've only been doing magic a couple of, that, doing, a, yeah. I'm so fucking jealous of kids because they just... You know, when your brain is still forming, boy, that's the time to get in and learn shit because it just gets into your DNA. Oh, yeah. You learn so fast. Like any hard magic sleight of hand that I learned is something I learned in high school. Like right. rarely is there – It's I find it so hard. And maybe it's just because there's we don't have the time that we used to have. You know, you come home from school, have four hours to work on a thing. I also think you just don't have the brain plasticity. I think so, yeah. Like trying to learn – I've always wanted to learn guitar and I hate that I didn't – try to learn when I was a teenager, you know, because I would have it for the rest of my life, like learning to type. Like, I'm so glad I learned to type in high school because yeah. now I can just do it. I can yeah. imagine like learning that right now. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of I, – and I kind of jumped around genres in magic. I was obsessed with Lance Burton, so I did an act in a tuxedo with 12 doves. <laughs> uh, I, 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 Where are you getting doves as a teenager? I thought you find – my parents loved it. They, they, were, they were very like, you know, they would – as long as I would keep getting – 
good grades and I wasn't like a delinquent. They were kind of helping encourage these things. And my dad ne- was never like handouts. It was always like, let's take the money that you made doing, you know, Tommy's bat mitzvah, Tommy's bat mitzvah, let's yeah, say. Sure. Tommy's bat mitzvah the weekend and let's, you know, use that to, you know, improve the act, invest in yourself kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was, it was some good, some good tutelage along the way. And then like they would chauffeur me from, from gig to gig on the weekends and uh, encourage me. I saved up money and bought my own car when I turned 16. And so it was kind of like simultaneously pursuing magic as an art form, as a performer, and then also like, how can I, how could this maybe be a career path, you know, mm-hmm. which was really nice. And then, um, and, and went to college, went to Emerson College in Boston, kind of started up a little kid's birthday party biz on the weekends. And then luckily, that's where I met, you know, some of my closest friends who happened to be comedians, like Dan Levy and I were roommates in college. And he had a similar path because he was a, like a young kid comedian, like he would compete in these young, young you know, teenage comedy contests around New England. And so we were kind of similar in that we were, we'd done, been doing this thing as freshmen in college already for like six, seven years and kind of, you know, like what, let's inspire one another. So he kind of really loved hearing about how to turn this craft into a business. And for me, I learned just about the comedy world. Like you got to write your own jokes. You Mm got to, you got to figure out who you are. You can't do that Harry Anderson line, you know, because people can look up Harry. You, right. You just, you're setting yourself up for just disaster. And also, like, most magicians are conditioned to create and craft your act, and you have that act, and it's an hour, and you do that for the rest of your life. And I think, and that works great for a lot of performers maybe who, you know, maybe are doing cruise ships or touring clubs it's and have goals. a new like, crowd every night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, as a, as a comic, it's like, you know, you're... He would. I would watch him write the stuff about things that happened last week, and now it's in his act, and I see it honing out over a few shows, and now it's killing, and I was like, "That's." I was there when that happened, and that became like right, <laughs> like a magic trick, like when that you that an original magic trick is like this this little piece of currency that you created out of nothing. You mm-hmm. know, if it's your, this is mine. Just like a joke, right? You write a joke, and now it 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 hits, and it's like, wow, I have like it's like a jewel in your hand. You know that. That that is yours that you made and it's a beautiful thing and I think that was important uh, just to go around to comedy clubs with him do open mics and figure out how to just go up and be try to be legitimately funny as funny as I was magic and that I think was what sparked the beginning of that search for what my voice is um and then the college, you know, doing NACA touring, touring those colleges. Boy, that was, NACA, those NACAs were were so crazy. Mike and I, grueling. Mike Furman and I, did them as hard and firm, and and we, you know, the first year we we got in. Just for anyone listening, NACA is this massive, and there are regional ones, but there's a big national one every year, and it's all of the um, bookers, like all the en- entertainment bookers from all the colleges come and they're, they're all like these student-run organizations and they're given budgets every year and they have to spend all their entertainment budget because if they don't, then generally like the money gets taken away. Right. Like, or oh, they give them less money next or year. Or they give them less money yeah. next year. Oh, you didn't need, you know, whatever it was, $100,000 entertainment. And they book their entertainment for the year through NACA. And so you have to send in it. You had to send in a tape and, you ha- you know, so sort of like an audition process. And you get to perform. And we found that performing at NACA was really the only way to do Because it's, it's also a convention. So mm-hmm. you can go have a booth there. 
but they're college kids. So if they haven't just seen you perform, it's unlikely, unless you're really famous, that they're going to come over and go, I want to book you, right. you know? So it was such an interesting, like, what was your experience with it? Did you enjoy that process? Was it grueling? I mean, it was grueling. I loved it, though. Like, when, I remember just when I started, like, f- take, you know, flying to shows, it just felt like such real show business, you know? Like, I have a plane ticket, I'm renting a car, I've got expenses, Yeah, but were you, you performing? Know? We'd show up and there'd be, like, eight people there, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. we, uh... We forgot to promote it, but uh, you know, like, and and the thing is, they because they paid for you, you still do the show. Yeah, and you know, I'm so glad Mike was there because he was my best friend, and it was so fun to go through that with him. But what do you do if you're if you're just like basically performing for like six people? I well, I think what what I'm I lucked out at is because like also in those trade show situations where you're kind of at the booth, mm-hmm. I can kind of do a little snippet of what I would do on stage. So I can do a close up trick, you know, like yeah. you guys can't do like. Let's do the conversation version of our act and try to dazzle you with our wit here. You know, it's kind of like you got to sing about a show. dinosaurs. Exactly. We're not going to sing a song for two people right, right here, but I can kind of do a trick for them and they can be like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. So, but uh, when I, I loved, I loved the bad gigs, like the nooners, especially, where you show up and they don't know, you know, they're eating lunch and you're setting up at the cafeteria doing a sound check and they didn't know there was going to be a show. They're I just. Studying, it's like exam week. Yeah, I love. And even still today, I love those gigs where everything is set up for failure. You know, you would think that this is not going to go well, like where my back is against the wall. And I find that that's when I have to, like, make make it big, come up with a way, lure people in, uh, you know, like, acknowledge how crappy this is God, and that the there's best nobody training, here. training, too. Yeah, I just love that. Like, um it's still, you know, there are gigs still where it's just like, oh, God, this is this is bad and as opposed to like fighting it or pretending to pretending just to go through the motions like it's not bad and then you know the audience is like well he's not acknowledging how the fact that there's there's nobody here or whatever yeah. or that the sound is bad or i find like embracing those flaws and making it into a new thing like those i'll have people come up to me after shows now and they'll say like i was at that college in you know 2004 when the power went out and it was so weird and it was so funny like those tend to be the things that people remember and that i remember yeah but is um is uh if a trick goes sideways or something malfunctions or something doesn't work, is that worse than being a comedian with a joke that bombs? Yeah, I think, think it's worse. I think, I mean, it's like, it's your dick flopping out of your pants sure, midway. Sure. And you kind of, you can't unsee that. You right. know, like, I feel like with magic, you, the audience needs to, f- like, there's the, the greatest fear of an audience member, even if they're kind of, you know, sadistic, like, is that something's going to mess up. Like, I don't want... You know, I want the trick to work. You it's know? a tightrope walk. It's, it's like this person walk. could fall, but we really don't want to see. And them I'm fall. sure you've seen like some. You know, you've been in the castle and you see somebody here. You're like, oh, this is their first time working in the castle, and you can mm-hmm. tell they're nervous. And you're like, oh, I really want this to work out. For right. Them. And if it doesn't, you know, like when a trick doesn't work, uh, you know, the 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 it's the lights turning on and the, the the veneer being pulled off. And if you're obviously if you're a very serious performer and a trick doesn't work, it really stands out. If mm-hmm. you're a comedic performer, you know, like Amazing Jonathan, half the tricks are not supposed to work, and that's what's funny. Um, but, uh, you know, a joke not working, acknowledging it, moving on to the next, it, it, it's kind of like an ebb and flow. With Amazing magic, it's harder to come back. He was, I, I, always, I always gravitated to the comedy magicians, too, mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Harry, because in the 80s, they had all these stand-up specials on television all the time, like all these evening at the improv, you know, they have a bunch of comedians. And so those guys, they were the magic guys who would do those. Um, 
uh, even to a degree, Joel Hodgson, who wasn't a magician mm-hmm. technically, but he would make these gadgets that yep. seemed magical. But the amazing Jonathan, it's just his whole, like, you look like the person who killed my parents. Mm-hmm. And then he'd get a laugh. I'm just kidding, I killed them. You know, yeah. it was just like that that unhinged sort of psychotic character that he did. I, fu- I saw him at Brookledge like two years ago, and he fucking killed. Like, yeah. still, still destroying. So it it is... I understand what you mean. Like, comedy is the sort of excuse for... It's a safety net in a way because it allows you to pivot more than if you were not a comedian. It's just like, well, that didn't go well. Yeah. It's... it's. I mean, it is kind of like if someone's a juggler, even if they're a funny juggler, when it, when they drop something, that probably wasn't supposed to happen. But some jugglers have amazing comebacks when things drop. And I feel like in magic, it's kind of the same just to you know, uh, roll with those punches. But I think that doing the knackers is when I started to, you know, feel like I, okay, I'm, I'm kind of equal. I'm doing I'm telling stories and jokes between tricks. And I feel like I'm kind of discovering myself as a comedian and as a magician. And that's when I started to really gravitate towards the tricks or pieces, whatever them being about something, you know, mm-hmm. them having context and premise, you know, not that I'm trying to prove a point but like you were saying about John Stewart what is this about mm-hmm. it's like magic just magic for magic's sake is great and it's amazing yeah. but i feel like it's a missed opportunity cuz they're walking away you know you you have a chance to like blow their mind and make them laugh but then make them think and have them really it resonates with people more because it's tied to this like to the emotion of wonder you know to this emotion of awe you know like so why not you know make it about Something, anything, like a lot of, you know, the first thing I, when you're coming up as a kid magician, there's a whole genre in magic, um, you know, there's the kid show performing market, but then there's gospel magic, you know, so there are magicians who like specifically Jesus? perform Jesus in churches. Gospel, gospel, gospel magic. Well, so you know, that's controversial, yeah. you know. His, <laughs> Where, where did he buy his tricks? They were amazing <laughs> tricks. But uh, but that's where you're like, oh, wow. So there's like the coloring book trick that clowns might do or magician might do. But then there's like the, the Jesus coloring book trick. And it's like the same trick. But wow, he's there. He is like making a very uh, big statement, a point about, you know, uh, the Lord and, you know, does this at church. And I was like, wow, that's a way to take a magic trick that is just an ordinary trick and make it about something much bigger and not that I wanted to take a gospel magic route but it's a good way to see how magic can be this metaphor you know to tell a story and um, and um, and I always thought gospel magic is such an ironic thing because you know magic some people some devout Christians are like they don't want anything to do with my shows oh, I don't I don't I don't want to be a part of that black magic or they're like they think if you're really good you're a demon even though know? it's like, weirdly more science and physics and math than it is like it's not actually mystical yes but they don't they don't they they, if you know if they can't explain how then it then it's in then it's in league with the devil you definitely would have been burned at the stake yes you know hundreds of years ago but i was i was talking to penn uh gillette about like yeah but aren't there only a finite number of gags that magicians and he's like yeah but the art is in the presentation and how do you he goes it's a very this it's the same thing with comedy i mean there's only a handful of really there's only a handful of types of jokes mm-hmm. and 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 it is personalizing it and making the presentations different and and I think stand up works similarly with magic in the sense that you know people can hear the same song over and over, but a joke is like a magic trick, and once you have the reveal generally with a few exceptions, you know like people don't want to see the same 
joke again because it's like I've already seen that. Right. I've already seen the reveal. I've already seen the trick. Right. So you know, it's the coming up with the creative ways to repurpose and re-express. Like, what's that? challenge like Jeselnik jokes are kind of like magic tricks cause yes they, they, there's a there's a reveal yeah, there's a reveal and you just often didn't see it coming right but I can never listen to that joke the same way again because I know it's you coming. know what the reveal I can is enjoy it you know but man like because they're just so beautifully crafted like ta-da's you mm-hmm. know um the yeah, there's a finite number of like magic concepts and methods and stuff. I mean, sometimes something new and diabolical or something that feels new will come along. You know, as we're as we're, I've got an amazing team that I make the show with for like two three months. It's me with some great comedy writers who don't know anything about magic, so that they're not constrained. And we come up with like the episode blueprints. We want to talk about this, and maybe there's a segment about this. But they're not constrained about. They'll pitch anything, ridiculous things that might not be possible to do, but. It's better than having the show, at least the germination of ideas, come from magicians because I find that I'm often self-censoring because I'm like, hey, you can't do that. No, that won't work. You know, and I, I'm, I'm kind of diminishing the potential uh, concept. You know, so once we've got the blueprint of these episodes, I've got a team of like just magic geniuses who many of them I've known for like 20 years that I came up with, and we just kind of, kind of figure out how to do it. And often, we'll my greatest joy is taking like an old, old trick like an old method for example like when we made the dude believe he was invisible you know i was like in order to we need to have magic in here somewhere so in order to convince a guy that he's about to be turned invisible he needs to see us make a guy quote unquote invisible so there's a oh, yeah, trick called the decolta chair which has been around for hundreds of years which is you know a person sitting in a chair you drape a cloth over them you whisk the cloth away and they're gone mm-hmm. and uh there's different variations of this but it was invented by this guy decolta and, and it's like just proven the test of time so how can we do that not on a stage not with a big wooden crazy chair but just do it with a picnic chair and so it's the vanishing person trick an oldie but a goodie in order to be repurposed to uh be evidence that this person's now invisible you know so i love i love the old stuff being dressed up as new uh, so like as Penn was saying you know it's all about the context and i feel like that if you can't come up with a trick that's never been done i think it's just as amazing and original to come up with a new way to do a trick that's really really old and do it in a way that makes it feel new i feel like in comedy there's often i can't think of an example but when somebody will tell a joke that just feels so obvious like that's been there this whole time but it's genius how did i miss that how did we miss it it's so simple i do believe that comedy i always think of comedy as like the game boggle where you know you know boggle where you it's like yeah. it's the grid with the letters and you shake it up and then you and then it's like everyone has a timer and you yes. start writing words and you are positive you have written down every fucking word in that thing and you start going through your list at the end after the timer goes up and someone says a word and you're like oh god damn it it was how the fuck did yeah. I how did I miss cart it was right there you know and like, that to me is like that's with those types of jokes yeah and like like you know Stephen Wright and Hedge, Hedberg jokes that are just so simple and the words are so you know economized and it then just becomes brilliant and you're it, it's uh to me that's just the best you know this episode is brought to you by noom forget one size fits all diets with noom you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle no food is off limits enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you 
with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. But I, I, I also have this idea that it, you know, like comedy... I don't think was ever really intended to be, obviously, you know, because when it started, when comedy started, there was no television media and stuff. I think it's a very difficult thing to shoot because I do feel that it is a, you know, there's like a communal experience with comedy that is meant to be kind of be intimate and you create this flash mob of an audience and you all have this unique experience together. And so when you shoot that, you are you are automatically removing. You're adding water to it. You're adding water to it. You're diluting it because the people at home, um, whereas in a live show, like people can really have an experience. But you know, when you're watching it on television, it really more stands by the jokes themselves rather than the experience of being there because you can't feel that because right. you're not there. With magic, I feel like that's true. But then there's the layer on top of that of people going, "Well, I'm watching this on video, so how do I know that this what? So how are you?" How do you kind of game that system so that it still feels like, oh, this, you know, this really was something that they did in the moment and not, you know, trick photography yeah. or whatever? I feel like in comedy, you know, when you watch a special uh, and, if you know, if you're not a comedian, not a performer, you know, you're just kind of a, a fan. I feel like the audience there, their laugh is what maybe lets you know, oh, that OK, that's the end of the joke. That was that, that really was funny. Like mm -hmm. without the laughs, you know, I feel like. Uh, it's the musings of a crazy it's, yeah, person. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you often judge how funny you thought it was based on oh, that was a huge laugh. That was that was really funny. You know, right. like and with magic, it's because it, so it's kind of like a mathematical equation. It's like joke plus audience reaction equals you as the home viewer. Like, yeah, okay, it computes. That was that was funny. With magic, it's the same. So you need to see a great trick. But you need to see an equally great amazed reaction from somebody right there. Yeah. And you need to use all your BS detectors to to know that, oh, that's, okay, that's a real person. Mm -hmm. That's not a fake reaction. Wow. That really – I believe them that they're amazed. So therefore, I am amazed too because it's like I was there. It's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. But, but in a way, it's almost like a third-person reaction video that you're watching. Yeah. It's, it's like they are – oh, that's so – I never thought of it that way. They are activating your trick. Because they ultimately are kind of the voice of the viewer or the person who's watching on the internet or the video or, or you know, Netflix or whatever. And that, and so you're also like they're part of the show too. Like it's always fun to be in a magic, like, and in your shows in particular, 
you know, like where you, you know, like the, the one trick you do where you like un- unravel all the numbers, yeah. you know, and it's, it's all, it always makes the show more entertaining with people in the audience are like, shut the fuck up. You know, there's always a shut the fuck upper in the audience. They're yeah. like, no, he fuck it. God, you are, you fuck. Like, yeah. people get angry. Even, and they know it's coming. Because you, like, you've tricked, to the, you've tricked yeah. them. And you tell them you're going to lie to them. Like, I'm going to trick you. Yeah. And that's what's going to... And still, like, that that experience is part of the show, too. So what's frustrating, which means it's frustrating when I, when we, you know, we're out shooting something and, oh, man, that trick, it looks so good. And, you, you know, you, you do want to avoid cutting. So you're kind of... You know, you're married to a performance and a person, you know, who's watching it. So the trick looked great, but the, man, that person just didn't, they didn't freak out or maybe they're self-conscious because there's cameras. So therefore the trick's amazement doesn't equal their reaction. So you as a viewer, like there's a disconnect. It's like, uh, why? Okay. <laughs> maybe the trick was, maybe there's something fake happening here. Or right. uh, why would that person not freak out? People often get upset when someone doesn't give what they think they should give as a mm-hmm. reaction. You know, like that per- I. And, and me watching in the edit bay is we're kind of like, okay, we've got two performances of this trick, which, which, which we use. Like sometimes I'll have to use the lesser great trick in order to get the, the better reaction because right. the, I, I'd rather take that than a, a great trick and just hating this person who didn't really give me what I deserved there, you know? Well, it, it's hard too because if you're doing your job perfectly, it's seamless, and so I think it's hard for people when people go to watch a magic show, you know, I think they want to be dazzled, and entertained and surprised. But rarely do I think the average person goes to a magic show and thinks how much work went into it, right. how, how much like behind the scenes planning and math and whatever, and how much hours and hours of you like doing finger exercises and, you know, like figuring out how you don't ever think about because in its perfect form that all vanishes right. and it's just a thing and so you know if someone doesn't react then in a way it's almost like they're also kind of not acknowledging like this guy worked really hard on it but yeah. you don't you kind of don't want them to do that because they shouldn't see all the work they went it's into like it. what like Jerry Seinfeld's comedian documentary was so great to see cuz you kind of just want to imagine that Seinfeld just goes on stage every night and just talks and, and kills it's gold and then you realize, like, wow, no, he's tinkering with words and being frustrated each night trying to figure out the right place for those words. And the same goes for, for magic. You know, you want to think that I just, you know, leave the house with some cameras and all of a sudden you know, people are invisible or whatever. Yeah. Like, stuff happens. But there is a lot of uh, the, the preparation and planning that goes into it to make it look like there's no preparation and planning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you – when you're sort of um, – planning the tricks and stuff, how are you balancing out? Um, do you ever have the pull to make them more presentational? Do you have to keep checking back in with yourself and being like, okay, I just have to like relax. I have to like just be me. Like what, how are you striking that balance? I think I, I try to obviously get the, the mechanics down so that what I'm doing, the trick, you know, whatever is involved, it feels natural. I have I try to have in my head a Rolodex of potential funny things to say or ways to deal with how somebody might react but I can't get too married to those because if I'm like I'm going to wedge this joke in there but it wasn't really called for it kind of you know right, now now it's performance you know now it's presentational and and I often like in season 1 there were a couple things that were a little more presentational like this gender reveal party thing and those just weren't things that you know, resonated with people that people talked about. The, the the stuff that really resonates, I find, is the stuff that is very simple, 
pure and where you actually feel like you're using magic as a way to observe the human reaction, you know, mm-hmm. to observe human behavior and the kids stuff, especially because kids are, you know, like they, they forget about that. There's cameras there much quicker. They are very uncensored and very, and just they just want un- the marshmallow. They just want that marshmallow. So as a viewer, like that kind of stuff is what resonates the most. And now I've learned to kind of lean towards those things because I think people want to be reminded what joy looks like, what uh, amazement looks like. They want to see someone's brain break because they're kind of, they're watching because they're on my team and they want to see what I can, you know, elicit from people. I want I want to see what, what's Justin going to do to freak someone out today and make their day, you know, and they want to be a part of that. And I feel like those are the things that, I don't know, I think that we need right now in our world. I feel like the the crazier shit is in our daily lives and everyone's personal struggles and the stuff in the news, like escapism, just a little bit of that wholesome escapism. Not that I ever wanted to make a wholesome show. No, but but, but also hope happened. and belief and wonder and magic and the fact that it's still out there and it's not just all bad news. Exactly. Even though there's a lot of bad news, it still is like the ability to create wonder and amazement and stuff. But you are also, I think you're the sort of ultimate... Does the trick have a name? Is there like a is there like an industry term for like the the trick the reveal? Does it have a name? The like in terms of when when the magic part happens or when well it's sort of like that you like, think it's going one like, way like in in wrestling the kayfabe is sort of like the agreement with the audience uh-huh. that, that it's not you know that it's a performance is there a, a part of the reveal is there like a, a an inside word for the reveal and then the reveal happens is there like and then I this think is the we MacGuffin. call it the reveal the reveal times, yeah so I think or the mystery like oftentimes the misdirect like I do a bit of my show where I've got a cardboard box. Hey, random person, who's your first kiss? Sarah, Sarah, Sarah B. You know, I pull out, open the box inside a sheet of paper that says Sarah B. Do you think that's the trick? And then I'm like, uh, come on, guys. Uh, I don't know this person. I don't have a, you wonder how it works? And I lift up the box and you see a printer's there. Okay. So now you're like, oh, okay. Now, okay. That's, I thought there was going to be a printer there. Right. Ah, there was a printer there. And then I talk about how it sucks to know how magic works, blah, blah, blah. I'll make it magic again. I lift up the printer. I crush it. It's a ball of paper. So mm-hmm. that is kind of a formula that I like to use a lot. And I can't believe I get away with it as much as I do because I feel like it's, you start maybe expecting it where you, you think you know how the trick works. Ah, I was right. But that's like the Jeselnik. No, that's I like didn't. the Jeselnik joke. Like, but you go see him because of that. Yes, because you know that he's the best at it. Right. And so and you, you love getting fooled by that thing again. It yes. kind of feels. Ah, he got me again. I love it. And it's you probably know? fun for you guys who do that to come up with creative and innovative ways to do that. But I think you, as a person, are the ultimate trick, the ultimate misdirect, because you're not presentational in that way. Uh-huh. No one expects you. It's like if you came up to someone on the street and you had a fucking cake and like a weird mustache or like a top hat or a lot of guy liner or whatever it was, you know, people would be like, they'd be expecting something. Right. But the fact that you're just like, hey, I'm Justin, uh, you know, and then as it unfolds, you do this insane thing that it, by all physical account, like every bit of uh, uh, of aesthetic data that I have about you does not register as like, this guy's a world-class magician. Right. You're just a dude. So you're like the ultimate misdirect, just you. Because I don't think anyone, if they don't know who you are, the last thing they're going to expect is this dude's just going to walk up, you know, and then two seconds later walk up behind them dressed as a cop. You know what right. I mean? Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable... Like, you, that presentation, I think, is so important. The art of disarmament. Yes, guess, yes, you know. because they're totally like, their defenses don't have a chance to go up 
And like, oh, this guy better be good. He's clearly a magician. Because they don't even know what you're about to do, I would imagine. It's funny. I feel like that, you know, the skill of being able to, you know, disarm a situation or kind of put people at ease or lower their expectations maybe comes out of, you know, like as a a teenager in in high school or in college, like – just your own insecurity, like I don't know if this is going to work. So let me lower, let me lower the expectations. Like it, there's a, I, I, th- I think it maybe came out of insecurity as a defense mechanism, and then becomes this little cool secret weapon, you know? Yeah. And but then also, as soon as I, you know, over the years realized that authenticity is the most, you know, magnetic thing you can do, and as close as you can be to who you truly are and telling your own story. And like, no one can say you're wrong if you're telling your story, like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you are being real. And I feel like, um, um, people sense that, you know, and by, by hopefully not, you know, by staying away from, you know, costume or anything like anything to kind of build up the performance. Um, you can kind of have it be based on your own merit, you know, and the, the words you say and the, the tricks that you do. And, um, you know, uh, I just love – I love that – I feel like what I learned from doing the show is that, you know, humans, we're all more alike than we are different, you know? And so much in comedy, like a lot of it – we were talking about, you know, uh, with Whitney Cummings giving this advice about making fun of people you don't know. Like so much comedy is encouraged to come out of other people's expense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're wrong. They're dumb. They're stupid. <laughs> we're, we're right. Us Let's, and them, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like in the show I've I've realized – you know, in in doing magic and the common denominator is just that we all kind of want the same thing. We want joy and love, and so staying away from the divisive things and letting magic be this escapism that I think that it is uh, well suited to um, is what I enjoy doing. And I'm I'm you know I'm glad that those little weird disarming things or whatever whatever kind of are remnants from my um, you know insecure upbringing. Uh, help and well, yeah. and because I feel like we thrive on, we love that feeling of surprise. And the older we get, the harder they are to come by. Which is part of the reason why I think spoilers are such a you know a, a capital crime because you when something is spoiled, people sort of feel like they've been robbed of that that feeling, that sort of drug, that ru- I don't know if it's adrenaline, whatever the rush is of chemicals in your brain, where you're like blah, you know that you have a lot when you're a kid because mm-hmm. everything's new to you, you know, which is sort of like why. You know, oh, uh, you know, these movies I watched when I was a kid are the best movies that I've ever seen. Or the first cast that I saw of SNL is the best cast. And it's like, because it's, you were younger and you were more, you were more amenable to being surprised by things. And as we get older, they're harder and harder and harder to come by. And magic still kind of gives people that little bit of that, that sort of like kid chemical drug that shoots in your brain because you're like, whoa, you know, we don't get to feel a lot of surprises. And usually when we're an adult and we're surprised by something, most of the time it's bad news <laughs> as opposed to like <laughs> push alerts yeah, on our phone. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not like we don't, we don't tend to like life doesn't give like grown ass people a ton of great surprises, right. you know? So it, I do, I do think from that standpoint, it's, valuable to people because it does kind of give them uh, a little bit of that drug. And then they love to then take that thing and share it with the people who they know would love this. Yeah. Oh, you gotta, you gotta see this. I want to watch you watch this, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think, you know, like the number bit I used to do in my show, um, you know, Jonah and Kumail, when I would do the meltdown, uh, would, would always peek around and they would love to watch the audience about to, you know, have their brains melt. You oh, know? yeah. Like it's, so it's kind of nice that even though it's, 
you know, quote unquote, spoiled for them and they know where it's, it's going, it's very fun for them to anxiously watch some people see it for the first time. Yeah, and, it's part and, of the experience. Yeah, it's fun. And so uh, you've had a ton of stuff um, go like mega viral, like your wedding video. Oh, yeah. And so what is it? What is what does that mean for? Because I, I think as we're sort of you know well into the age of social media now and well into understanding the viral phenomenon, it was sort of like in the early days of Twitter. You know, for whatever reason, Twitter put me and a handful of friends of mine on their like suggested user list, and so in the earliest days, people like me and Will Wheaton and Felicia Day, and you know, like all had a shit ton of followers before a lot of people did Mm -hmm. because we were being recommended by Twitter. And I think at first, like, you know, in the early days, all of a sudden I had like 50 or 100,000 followers on Twitter, which was not common. Right. And I thought... Oh my! All my shows are going to sell out now because it's a hundred thousand people. Even doing the math, if one percent of them bite, and then you realize, like, oh, it doesn't translate the same. It doesn't mean everything. You know, to have a viral video doesn't necessarily mean that you can play stadiums, or it doesn't necessarily mean. And so, what is the sort of for you as the the business side of the performer? What does that mean? And is it helpful? Is it whatever? Is it not helpful? I mean, it's better to have it than not, but is it, what does it actually mean to you? And how do you use it now that we're becoming more savvy about how this stuff works? Yeah, I think they're just, you know, like, it's certainly not like a monetary thing. I don't think I've ever made any, you know, it's not been a monetary goal no internet to have dollars? a video. No, I mean, like, my wedding video, I used, like, you know, music that wasn't mine, so you don't make any money off that, and anything went viral from Netflix, you know, you kind of... To me, it's it's just these little free billboards that mm-hmm. get to go up around town, uh, town being the world, mm-hmm. uh, where hopefully they will then watch, maybe watch Magic for Humans, or... Um, you know, when they see that I'm coming to their town, maybe, you know, perk up and, yeah. oh, yeah, it's the guy from the thing. Or at least maybe, you know, let them be a part of whatever my social media, you know, be an Instagram follower and then kind of be enlisted into kind of hopeful nurturing their fandom mm-hmm. for the show. And, I mean, obviously selling tickets on the road is 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 a very hard thing to do, but totally. it's very, very rewarding because for me that's the one aspect of my career that hopefully in the long run I will have control over you know being able to listen if Netflix doesn't want to do any more thing and no one wants to put me on their whatevers hopefully I will have the people who I can go out to their town and do the shows you know like that's kind of that that old school showbiz thing that I hope I can always nurture so ideally that's what those things uh, do and kind of help. I agree. Help, That's help what do. I always. Everything I've always done is like I hope it brings more people to shows. And but I think of all the things, the greatest appreciation that I have is that like people, you know, even if online they're like, oh, I'm you know, I really like your work or whatever. It, not, nothing is more truthful than someone putting on pants, getting in their car, yeah. driving, parking, going in, waiting in line, paying a decent amount of money for, you know, tickets and food or whatever, giving you, like, their whole night. Maybe they had to get a babysitter, you know, and coming and seeing one of your shows. Like, there's no greater honor than someone giving you their time and money to give you their attention. And I will, you know, like, I go out and meet people, anyone who wants to take a picture. I'm like, I, you know, you can, I'll sign a pop toy or I'll sign someone else's. I'll sign whatever you have. And I so greatly enjoy meeting people face to face and being able to shake their hands or, you know, they go, can I have a hug? Sure. Because it, it really like, there's no truer thing than that relationship where someone will actually devote 
time and, you know, and their hard-earned money to come see you, you know? Like, that is such an amazing experience. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, when I was doing, like, NACAs in colleges, you know, you know they're not paying tickets, you know? They, right. They, I'm at their school for free. So having people who go through all that trouble, and I feel like... I mean, I don't know if you agree. You can watch the show and, you know, I I love what I've created with the Netflix show. So I feel like you're getting a real dose of me. But, man, them seeing the show live, like someone coming and watching, you know, Chris Hardwick perform not through a screen, no no extra water added. Like it is just like that's what what I think it's all about. That's why – that's why I wanted to be a performer is to perform, have this, you know, this, this kind of this exact show will never happen again where, you know, every, every show you do with, with people on the road, it's like that we're creating just a little a very, very special night. And for them, it was a, it was a choice, a very a decision to spend hard-earned money. Tickets aren't cheap. I mean, Ticketmaster fees are ridiculous. Like the, <laughs> the money people have to pay to come out to see you, you know, it's it's a it's a thing that that you know you have to plan out, and it's a, the I convenience think, fee because it's so convenient. so convenient to take your money. Yeah, exactly. It's convenient for them. Yeah. Um, oh, twenty dollars to click this button. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So convenient. I love doing the shows. I love doing the meet and greet, and yeah. oftentimes the meet and greet will go uh, two times as long as the show was. Sure. And it just. Because I just know, like, if if you have this connection with people, they will come to see you when you're back in town, and you kind of have your your your. It's a dating. It's a relationship. It's a very wholesome relationship where it's like, hey, I like what you do. I want to hear the words you have to say and see your new magic. So let's do this every two years. Yeah, but whereas comedians, though, I think maybe five percent of people will say, "Tell me a joke." But as a magician, uh-huh. I would imagine in person. People kind of want to like puppeteer you a little bit and be like, do a trick, you know, like do a thing. When you find out someone's a magician, you immediately want them to just do a thing. Yeah. Do you have stuff at all times? Like, do do magicians like? Do you just have something in your pocket where like, okay, if someone, ten people are going to ask me today, so I should just be prepared? I used to, I used to always have something. I mean, like as a when I was in high school, college, and afterward, you know, just because I think I was, I was really every day was a chance to to prove myself and to maybe get a gig or have the word spread and now i feel like uh now i don't i try my best to politely you know come see a show mm-hmm. or or you just saw me do 90 minutes so i'm yeah. to do a trick in the yeah. green line or <laughs> watch this thing you know like i feel like uh i like you know unless of course it's like okay justin we've got uh will ferrell here mm-hmm. and he wants to see a trick okay right. you know i love will ferrell or sure. steve martin wants to see a trick okay oh boy and uh, he knows magic and he knows magic but I, I i kind of try to defer those impromptu situations uh, to have them come see me in in i think the the setting that would showcase it best yeah. um and uh so that's kind of where <laughs> i'm at just now reminded, hey, you don't have to talk about this and i'll totally cut this out if you want but it I know you performed for Obama when he was president. Yeah. I feel like you said he heckled a lot during uh-huh. the show, but you can't say anything because he's the fucking president. At the but time. it was, I know. No, you can't kick him out of the White House. <laughs> you can't. Hey, this guy's. Uh, hey, Secret Service. Listen, come on. This he, guy's this, drunk. This guy, yeah. <laughs> but he. What was it? So, like. What but it was he, positive heckling. It was like. How did he do that? You know, like uh, kids, like what's what's going on? This guy's a wizard. <laughs> I don't know a good Obama, but this is what he was saying. Like he he was like 
Yeah, it was it was it was rising. I think he was trying to just kind of be a little hype man of the crowd because sometimes you know a couple of the couple of magic moments in the show are like you know Pete Holmes's bit. There's no natural reaction to magic, you know, like yeah. there's no sound you make. So it, it often is mistaken for. Uh, boy, he's not doing well. Right. But actually, people are just like their jaws on the on the, the, the floor. And I think Obama is a natural. He's a great performer. He's got yeah. this. He's got a tempo. He can. He can. You know. He he's a speaker. He knows. Okay, there's too much of a lull here. We got to get a little reaction call and response. So he was. That was really nice. Trying to hype the room a little well, bit. That's yeah. Because Pete, Pete Holmes told the story. I think on Conan. Maybe he told the story somewhere. Where he was doing a show, I think in Boston, and there were these two girls in the front that would not stop talking during the whole show, and yeah. he like got into it with them a little bit, and was just like, "Can they please shut the fuck or whatever it was?" And one of them turned out to be Obama's daughter, uh, and so he was just like, "Oh shit!" And so I texted him, I was like, "You know, Obama talked all through Justin's yeah. show, so maybe it's just a thing." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe she came by and honestly, but I don't know, but it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Are, are there people that you... Um, were like, are there other people that you were surprised that you got to perform for? Do you get extra nervous if there's, you know, like certain people in the room with comedians? It's always other comedians, right? Is it the same thing? Is it magicians and other magicians, or is it like, you know, the Will Ferrells and the Steve Martins of the world and the, you know, the the Obamas of the world, or is it like, what, like, what's your oh shit? I love. I mean, if it's someone who I have a great respect for what they do, whether they're performer or not, like there, there are extra nerves that come in. But I love when, if they're about to see me, when they're going to see me in the right context. Like mm-hmm. it would not feel good if I meet Steve Martin and someone's like, Justin, do a trick. And it's kind of like, he doesn't really want to see a trick. He's right. in the parking lot walking to his car. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Let's they go. I'll disappear. I prefer, yeah, I prefer that no trick happens now and that maybe – Chance will put him in the audience one day. Who knows? But right. I would prefer that than kind of it being shoved upon someone. Right. But um, I lo- those are good. Those are good nerves. I love when um, I love just when there someone I respect is seeing me do what I do in my setting, and then we can kind of have a conversation about it because I've spent years watching them do what they do in their perfect setting, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, like I've been a huge Weird Al fan since I was a little kid, and I think I met him for the first time at uh, the Nerdist Channel launch party. Yeah, 2012. And, yeah, yeah, and you know, I don't think I did a trick for him, and he didn't know who I was, but we ended up crossing paths several times later, and it kind of became like a, you know, a casual. It's not like uh, you're like, hey, get your accordion. Exactly, you know? exactly. Like, yeah. um, so I always found patience to be better than impulsiveness with shoving, you know, trying to impress the people who you love with your thing because 
you know, I, I, you can read when someone, I really want to see what you do, show me what you do, versus, yeah. okay, yeah, you can, sure. Oh, wow, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, how about that? Yeah, okay, well, I got to go. But it, just give people who are listening a sense of, because obviously your show is a very specific thing. It's a yeah. very specific animal. And your live show isn't, and I've seen your live show many times, mm-hmm. but it's, um, but it's not, you're obviously not going up to people on the street in your live show. So what is, like, what elements, like, you know, are you taking from Magic for Humans and bringing on to the stage? And so what what do people expect when they see your show? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel like, uh, you know, because I, you know, like as a performer, I kind of have taken the, you know, the comedian's mindset of, Pack and small. Don't need to check a bag. You know, I've, there's so many times early in my career where I would show up at a at a gig and there'll be other, you know, like legit comedians I respect, and I would just hate myself that I have to make two trips to the car and bring my crap in, and I feel like, <laughs> oh god, just the respect is going away. And right. I'm that guy. I'm not, you know, you know, like uh, the guy with who needs his props to do his act. So I kind of spent years trying to need less and less and less, and have it be more about. What I have to do and say, but still be able to, you know, play top hat is a big room. Exactly. Play a big room. And uh, so the the things that I do in my live show, I think, um, you know, oftentimes I will take little, you know, I will take ideas like the making the dudes invisible was something I was doing in my live show for a couple years. And it was, you know, it was like a 30 minute bit and the crowd loved that. I would send these two dudes to the lobby and I would kind of loop everybody in on what we're going to do. And they loved being in on a prank. And so I was like, how do I adapt that to the TV show, but, you know, make it better, but put it in the real world and obviously make it five minutes long. You know, that, that was, that was fun. I feel like people, because the Netflix show, uh, is very much authentic and really me. Um, they, the, the, when they come to see me live, which is also the same dude, really me, there's a, the, they're, you know, even though I'm not doing kind of close up magic in the street, I'm doing stuff on stage presentational because, because it's the same, you know, it's the same guy. It's got that same secret sauce. I feel like there's a, there's a joy and a surprise. I feel like a lot of people are just seeing magic in person. And if you're a fan of the show, you come see it live. It's, it's so, it's a relief to be like, oh, wow, it really does feel like this in person. Like, wow, I, people, we really are amazed. Oh, man, as good as your TV show is not a lie. As like, amazing as your show is, and Lydia and I love it, it, your live show is like, it's just a whole, it just adds a whole other level because you're seeing it happen. You're just seeing it happen in real time. I mean, it's legitimately. And there's a there's an ease to it, um, and it's fun and it's funny and it's the tricks are fucking great. So I really hope that people, you know, even if they're kind of fans of your show, they should go see your live show because oh, yeah. it because it just is a it's just a whole other like you will you will definitely be you will definitely leave that show like holy shit how the fuck did he how was that how you know and I'm by the way. I don't – Alex Murray has said to me before, like, oh, do you – you know, I know how this one trick is done. I go, I don't want to know. Like, I still love the wonder of it and I don't want it to – I don't want that taken away. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, because my tour right now, it's called the Magic in Real Life Tour because I feel like it's – it it just needs to be acknowledged that there is a difference between kind of, you know, uh, how great something looks on TV. you got to experience it in real life. And I feel like also with comedy, you're in a room if you're in an audience and just – 
everyone is just dying. You kind of look to the left and your right and you're all sharing this experience. You're thinking this is as funny as I do. Yes, wow, we're one. And with magic, it's the same thing where you're kind of like, you're in the, you're in the audience. And I always, I always relate back to just that meltdown because it was such like a little, just a little hot box, you know, of, of, of energy. And when, you know, you see somebody amazed and there's often this look to the left and the right, like you're seeing what I'm seeing. You're seeing what I'm seeing? Mm-hmm. Okay. It, I can let it all out. And there's a, it's like a communal, I don't know, there's just nothing better than in person, you know? Comedy, magic, um, I'm sure, you know, sex is better in person as well. All the things. All these things. <laughs> sex for humans is better in person. Yes. You know, it just is better in person. It's better. But, in but it is, you know, um, uh, it, I think it's such a good representation of your vibe. But do you like. Do you like close-up mat? Like, is there a specific type of mat? It's not like there's close-up comedy, you know. But magic has a couple of different, very close-up specific comedy. presentational ways. So, you know, like if you, you know, I'm a non-magician member of the Magic Castle, and so I've, you know, obviously been many times over the years. And just the way it's divided up for people who don't know is that there's a close-up gallery, and there's a a, a, a parlor of prestidigitation, and then there's like the theater. And or is the parlor no the parlor is the medium size parlor's room. middle right yeah and so there's a, a small room a medium size close to magic a medium size room for medium sized stuff and then a theater you know for like really presentational stuff but if you walk through all the nooks and crannies there are just random magicians who are you know sitting at tables and if you walk up to one they'll just start doing yeah, tricks it's the bar closer than the, the bartender up. will right. do tricks yeah, too exactly and so. You see how many different presentation, like ways just to experience magic. There's not a lot of different ways to experience stand up. It's right. a lot, other than the size of the room. There's smaller rooms and there's bigger rooms, but ultimately, it's stand up. Somebody but, talking. But yeah. magic has, you know, and each one of those uh, different platforms has its own specific style. So, do you prefer one or the other, or just like a mashup of everything? Well, over the years, I kind of dabbled in everything. Obviously, as a kid, when you don't have money to pay for anything that would enter, that would, could be seen by more than 50 people, you know, you're kind of doing close-up magic. Yeah. And I would do gigs at restaurants and, uh, you know, do walk-around, strolling kind of stuff, just with things in my pockets. And that uh, I love. And on the Netflix show, I get to do a lot of that because with the benefit of the camera, you can see something small, you know. Yeah. And um, coming up doing the NACAs and, and, you know, doing comedy clubs. I feel like it's that parlor stay, you know, the, the, the big room. I never wanted to have, like, big stuff. I, I never was, like, an illusionist kind of guy. I kind of really wanted it to be about, you know, me and what I had to say. Um, so these days I think – and also mentalism, you know, which is a genre of magic, which is kind of just messing with your head. I find that my act has a lot of mentalism, kind of parlor-style magic things, but not very prop-heavy. Right. I love doing close-up magic, but unless there's like a live feed video camera at the theater, you know, it's hard to kind of do that and connect with a thousand people at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of a, you know, kind of like that hair, come back to that kind of like that Harry Anderson scale, you know. Penn and Teller as well, you know, you kind of, when you think back on a Penn and Teller show that you love, it's like, it's, it's them, you know. Yeah. Like, the things that they do are rarely you know, big boxes and stuff. It's the idea. You know, what were they talking about? They're talking about flag burning. Wow. And there was an amazing, you know, their, their their bit about the Bill of Rights and the flag burning is one of the most brilliant pieces of magic or their bullet catch, you know? It's right. like everything required for those tricks could fit into a briefcase, but right. it's filling a stage with their personalities and with the idea. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that I'm most drawn to. So now that you have a, a child 
And this is, you know, obviously this is, I'm asking for personal reasons because at some point, you know, I, I imagine Lydia and I will probably have a child. Someone will, yeah, give yeah. you a child. Yeah, and yeah. So, take someone this, will just hand me thing. a child here. Um, but uh, how has that affected, does that, has that affected you as a performer in any way? Or are you starting to go like, oh, I don't, you know, I used to want to perform all the time, but I have this great wife and this great kid. And so now... I feel this push and pull of like, oh, maybe I don't want to be on the road or maybe I, is that, is that affecting it, it? Like how in any way has that changed your outlook on stuff or has it changed the way that you view magic or anything? I feel like I, I mean, just as a performer and not even necessarily needing to be a performer, I think just as a person who's trying to manage their time, you use your time much better. You know, like I, don't want to leave town on a Monday and a Thursday and a Sunday for three different gigs. How about let's just try to – let's hold out and just do a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday mm-hmm. so I can leave town and come back once. Let's, I want to maximize you know, the time I'm away from this kid so I can see every amazing, hilarious milestone along the way. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to miss the funny thing that he does or when he makes the walks for the first time. Like, so I feel like I you – know, when I go to work on something or go to the office and write – I'm not just dicking around. Like I want to let's let's do what I came here to do. We did it. Great, productive. Let's go home mm-hmm. and I can you know live my life. I feel like it's in terms of like the magic. I feel like I am getting to like discover all these things again for the first time because I'm noticing the details in life and the things that you know the 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 trail that a plane leaves when it passes by seeing that that catches his eye or he points at the the shadow of the moon during the daylight and you're like oh my god yeah that that is awesome i fucking see that all the time but i never never point to that thing or yeah that crow is enormous holy shit let's point at that crow <laughs> so i feel like it's it's letting me uh, you know, just reminding me of all these little things around us, which I think naturally is is fodder for material. And I feel like you know, in comedy, it's about noticing the details. Oh yeah, when you just that... shut off to the day to day stuff because you're busy and you got shit to do, yeah. and you can't even have time to look at a crow. Like you got to fucking exactly. You know, and it's those little things that we take for granted. We see all the time. We just need to be reminded of that funny. What's funny about them, or what's magical about them? So yeah. to me, that's that's exciting. And in the show, I feel like since. The show, uh, the Netflix show is, you know, I feed on stuff that's happening in my real life. Like, you know, just the natural struggle and freak out of having your first kid, you know, no one and figuring out what, how, what, you know, like everyone is every first time parent, I think, goes through that same like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like this is going to be a disaster and it works out okay. And I feel like um, figuring out the funny things about parenthood, you know, breast pumping and, uh, you know, take your baby to work. All these things are just, they, they write themselves in terms of coming up with new material or ideas to repurpose magic, you know, like it's all about that t- taking an old trick and making it new again. Uh, you know, in one episode, I, there's the any drink called for a classic trick, you know, with an old, with an old, um, tea kettle name mm-hmm. a drink okay and i pour you know you want a bloody mary here's red wine here's mm-hmm. beer how's he getting all these drinks well, let's do that but let's do it with my my man boobs and uh <laughs> at a coffee shop someone wants almond milk i eat some almonds and pump out some almond milk that was a good gag so i saw so i milk i pump out some you know so th- it was that's in the show by the way that's it's in the show fantastic. and and that came from like when i you know when i when my wife was breastfeeding when you realize that like there's this symbiotic relationship and that the baby's mouth and the mother's breast there's like an exchange of you know some sort of data and and bacteria you know like this baby's letting the mother's breast know what nutrients i need now like it's i was like that's magic wait 
Yeah. Any drink called for. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, and that annoys my wife because you can't, you know, you, as much as you, you, there's no nine to five in comedy magic or anything creative because it's just when, when something comes to you, it, it comes. Uh, so oftentimes so there'll be intimate moments of parenting and I'll be like, yes. The, the, <laughs> Please don't put this in your the act. dingle hopper. Do you need to put this yeah. in your act? Yeah. Come on, does the everything have to be? A... Everything does have yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the so. baby's gonna, you know, throw up in your hat and shit on your doves. Like yeah. it's just gonna it's happen. At some point. Is he? Is is the baby? Um, does it? Do you kind of test stuff on it? Because like if you know, if a, ba- if a if a young child is sort of fascinated by something, does that? I've tried to you know gauge where he's at with the object permanence. You know, so I'll do like just a really great, well done French drop where it looks like I'm taking one of the balls and put it in my left hand, but it's in my right and. Drop it under the table. French drop and balls, by the way, all sounded like French a filthy. Drop I did and the balls. French drop, and then I take the balls. These are wholesome magic terms, everybody, <laughs> that you can do for your kids. Exactly, and you know, I'll make a ball disappear, and I was like, because this would impress an adult, and just he's like, okay, well, I need another ball. Where's my other ball? Like, so it's not registering yet. But having a kid is great. I can you get to hang out at playgrounds again, and it's not creepy. That's yeah, fun. no, it's not. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not creepy. The other day, I <laughs> you get to wave at firemen again. Sure. For years, I couldn't wave at firemen without. Than thinking of well, I never thought them. about that, how much I've been depriving myself all these years. Just of wave at a fire truck, and they're, they'll wave. It's so exciting. When you have a baby, they will wave, they'll all wave back. And when you don't, the they're like, the fuck when is this guy's problem? They will not wave back. They won't wave back at yeah. you, because they don't want to just I can't wave wait to do the, the, the trucker. Like, oh, the keep on trucking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, if if your child, I would imagine if your child has the performance gene, you'll probably... I'll nurture that. Of I'm not going to push it upon him. I mean, I have incorporated him into the in an ex- exploitative way so far. Like he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's SAG eligible. Oh, okay? that's nice. That's good. At, that's at good. under one year. So he's 14 months now. Um, but uh, yeah, I will, I'll, I'm excited to see what he does. He's got incredible he's, ball skills. Uh, he loves... Balls, okay. Oh, a- interesting. Any types of balls. All right. Well, I don't know if there's uh, <laughs> anything else to say other than that the authorities have stopped by and <laughs> I mean, they would love kid, to have a chat with you. I, I, I mean, I'm sure every parent thinks their kids are genius, but like this guy, <laughs> you know, like these little uh, from the ball pit, like he'll take them and spin them like a top, and I'm like, how does it? It's like a Harlem Globetrotter. So, do thing. you think that there's any? Because obviously, we don't we don't pass on learned traits per se genetically, right. but. Do you, is there some predisposition? Is there some like weird genetic predisposition that you have that has transferred onto him? That because like you know when you were growing up, when you were four, fourteen months old, if you spun a ball, your parents might not have registered it because they weren't magicians, so they wouldn't right. have known like oh it takes a certain amount of dexterity to do that. They were saying oh my kid's spinning a fucking ball. Yeah. Now or that my kids, my kids gonna play basketball, right? Like whatever you like. Now that you notice that. Do you think, I don't know, do you think there's anything to, like, does the nature-nurture argument? I mean, I'm not, like, a master of, I mean, I am okay at sleight of hand, but I'm not a master. I'm not Shin Lim. You know, you watch somebody like Shin Lim or or any of the guys you see, the guys and gals in the close-up room who are just doing, you know, coin rolls over their Mm -hmm. knuckles and stuff. Like, that is not my thing. So maybe that is a learned, uh, a genetic thing that's passed Mm -hmm. on. I feel like, if anything, because he'll grow up seeing me on stage in front of people like he'll you know every couple weeks he'll a show will happen that's before his bedtime and he can come and he'll see wow daddy's on stage and everyone is watching daddy and daddy's where the the light is and lights hitting daddy and i can hear his voice wow that's interesting Mm -hmm. you know and if anything seeing that might just impact him to 
think about oh you can be a performer you know yeah. like I think you 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 what you see and observe and especially if it's what you know if it's your parent it's kind of like well, that's the guy who wakes me up in the morning but here he's in front of a bunch of people and they're listening to him I don't know what computations happen in a child's head but I feel like it opens up maybe possibilities right for them well yeah because you didn't really start magic till you were twelve right and so he you know I would imagine when he's like three. He'll really start having an understanding of some stuff, so he could have like a nine-year jump on, you know, right. like to, and you'll and you'll really be able to like hyper nurture that because <laughs> yes. you understand it. And or he might not give a shit about any of it. Maybe not. Maybe not. But like, I didn't. Have, my parents weren't performers, so you know, it wasn't until I was twelve or thirteen, and then it's like, you know, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, Tonight Show, uh, SNL. Like that's when you start seeing these people, and you're like, oh wow, performing—that's mm-hmm. a thing. So he's seeing it now. We'll see if it actually draws him to it or repels him. What did your parents? Too. My dad was an airline pilot. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And my mom, an interior designer. Fantastic. You know? Just good old classic occupations. Just classic American yeah. occupations. Yeah, exactly. That's really nice. That's really nice. I'm, I'm glad that things are working out so well for you and that the sh- I mean, like, Netflix was the perfect platform for that show because, yeah. number one... When when the first season came out, I think there were six episodes. Yes, and so we watched all of them immediately. Right, and they're not long. They're like I don't know, twenty five minutes long yeah, or yeah. something. And so you can burn through them really like in a night. You could watch the entire first season yeah. in a few hours, and uh, we just watched one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, right after the other, and it it was just the it, it just feels like the perfect platform. You know, of like oh my god, I didn't have to wait. There were no commercials. It, you know, like I just get to see this unfiltered. It's you and know. I think as a creator, like because someone like Netflix, like they don't really have a brand to service. You know that restrains you. You know, like Comedy Central gave great opportunities, but they also had their demographic and their brand. You know, so there's no like, algorithm. Like the algorithm, no algorithm is going to yeah. feed people exactly feed people who want what you want. And there's right. enough people that there's a lot of people within the the millions of people who actually really want that thing. Yeah, you know? and here it is for them. And if they don't have to wait till next week, here it all is. Here's right. everything. Are you doing a third nice. season of the show? We yeah, we are. We did. We shot it. We shot two seasons back to back. So season oh my three gosh. comes out in May. Oh wow! Yeah. So well, season two just came out like a m- in December. Right. Yeah. So that's a quick turnaround. Oh man. Well, what? Are, where should people go if they want to get your tour dates? How many tour dates do you have coming up? I've got I've got about fifteen tour dates coming up at justinwilman.com. Go to my name.com. I'm doing a bunch of Canada stuff, Kansas City, Oklahoma City, um, Grand Rapids, uh, all, o- all over the place. So yeah. come see a show. Come see it in person. I would love to hug you and uh, sign your bobbleheads after the show. I don't have Justin Woman bobbleheads. I should, I should, you I should, should you do should that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, and I have to say, like, Chris, like, we because we have our mutual manager and who kind of, you know, linked us up, like there have been a lot of incredible opportunities that have come from that for me with the Magic Meltdown and obviously working together on the Comedy Central things. And then also I think the biggest thing is that you brought me into the fold and treated me like a a fellow comedian in the comedy world. Even though I'm kind of like a magician, I'm this cousin, you know, like you kind of treated me uh, as an equal and I think... It, it, it caused other people to also treat me in as equal. Oh, and I really well, I just, felt like no. hugged into this world that I think is – it really paved the path that led me to where I am now. I'm so always I'm always rooting for you and I'm always – it makes me happy to see nice, talented people succeed. You know, That's like right. it just makes me happy. And so I'm – you know, the fact that this is – this is working out is, you know, I mean, I say it Alex all the time, like, it's fucking great. Like, it's just, 
when that show first came out, I was like, oh my god, this was the thing. This was yeah. the thing that he needed because it. It's not like there's a ton of magic on television, you know. Like, how do you? It's the live performance. Like, you can be one of those road dogs that just does like you know forty dates a year. You go to the same. Every 18 months, you kind of go back with a new act and you tour ad infinitum and then eventually it starts to, you know, but that's rough. That's a that's rough, rough. That's a rough schedule. Being yeah. able to do something to sort of kickstart that where it's like, oh, you know, I've been, I've had some exposure. I don't have to do 40 dates on the road. I can do, you know, 15 or 20 mm-hmm. and it's still, and it still works out. But, you know, like it's, that was just me it was it was just a testament to you just being a good dude who was incredibly talented it's like everyone needs to see this everyone needs to see this well, thanks man so i appreciate it and i appreciate you and i'm so glad that uh that there is another season of the show that's like just a few months away i can't wait for people to see it and what a great feeling it is to be back in a windowless room with katie <laughs> I gotta say, it's been a while. It's very nice. Yeah, we really tried to on the same floor. On the same floor. Yeah, yeah it is it's the same. Good. It is the same floor. Good karma in here. Yeah, I hope you know. I don't know. I almost feel like some. I'm gonna have to. This floor is one of those things that I feel like I should put it in my will. Like I should will it to someone. Uh-huh. Like Katie wants it, so I should. Uh-huh. I should will it to Katie, and then Katie will. Have to like no do matter what with it. what structure the floor is in, it is always on, on loan to that structure. It is on loan. Yeah, it will yeah, go exactly. to another structure. It's an installation. Eventually. It's yes. like a temporary. It's a temporary installation. If you were to, you know, because you're such a kind of an everyman presentation of a guy, which uh-huh. again I think greatly helps your act and what you do, especially with the show. If you were going to be like a bedazzled style magician, have you thought about who that guy is and what Ooh. that looks like, or Mo- like the Burt Wonderstone version? Yeah, of like me? what the costume is and the presentation oh, of it. Man, oh gosh! I mean, there is. I mean, just as a as a kid magician watching those guys, like you know, you kind of at least want to let that. What what's the Elton John version of me as a magician out? Right. Or kind of the prince, you know. Yeah. Like, I think it would be. Pr- there would be elements of Prince in it because, man, he's like a – if anyone can kind of do the bedazzle flamboyance but also just be a badass motherfucker. Yeah. That's some that's some Prince stuff right there. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but also uh, there is a – that is kind of a strange one though because – Guys like you and I like to be in it with people, and we like the intimacy of it, and we like talking to people. But I think Prince was very much like, "Yeah, I'm I'm, here. I'm, I'm, I'm levitating. You're over there. Yeah, you I'm know, not like, touching the um, ground. It's sort of that, uh, you know, if I remember correctly from my Catholic schooling, there was the sort of pre-Vatican II era where it was like, you know, the priest had his back to the audience, and it's like, you're here." To witness this thing, and then it sort of turns like, oh, it should be more communal. You yeah. know, it's like it. I don't think it's like Prince isn't in it with you. I then yeah. <laughs> what, what I'm more comfortable as with amazing is, as he is, he's like you and I like to be in it with people. Right. Like, which oh, means we're all, we want to be Springsteen. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Prince goes out and did. I don't think he did meet and greets after shows. You're probably yeah. Right. He didn't, but you and I like to do that kind yeah. of stuff. But he loved it. I mean, he would do long ass shows. You know, but Springsteen, I think maybe is who I'm a little more comfortable in that kind of arc. If I'm going to be a rock star magician, I feel like it'd be a Springsteen vibe. I'll do a four hour show. I, I, you know, I'm, he's as real as real can be. That dude's that dude's 
Who are some other magicians that you recommend for people to that maybe aren't as you know like that maybe that don't have a show like who who are you liking right now that people should look out for? Oh man, um, well I mentioned Shin Lim, who's a brilliant. He won America's Got Talent. Yeah. Brilliant sleight of hand magician who's on tour with Colin Cloud, who's a brilliant Scottish mentalist mm-hmm. who I love, and um, you could probably catch one of their shows. Uh, David Williamson is a comedy magician who's my one of my heroes, and most people. You know, he kind of d- never really wanted to be like, I don't, you know, the, the guy. He's just a magician's magician who works all the time. I think he's on tour with uh, one of the illusionists shows. There's like a touring, okay. a touring brand of uh, like a group of illusionists who tour together. And but he's just the the funniest. You know, go see Matt King in Vegas. Go mm-hmm. see Penn and Teller. Go see David Copperfield if you haven't seen David Copperfield. I mean, he's still doing. 14 shows a week yeah. in Vegas. I mean, he's a beast, but he's always... Copperfield and Penn are always are have... Every time I go see him, there's like several new bits that I haven't seen. And I feel like I want to be that kind of creator that just... If I'm doing it, I don't want to be... I don't want to be doing stale and dusty stuff. I, yeah. I kind of... I became a magician because I kind of... It's it's like it's a job, but it's also like a hobby. So it's like vocation becomes your your vacation becomes your vocation, you know. But you can't turn it off. You just love it. Yeah. And I just I, I I so far I've never gotten sick of just always trying. What's new? What's new? What's a cool new thing? And I think those guys are legends who who put it into practice. Yeah, there was a guy that I that I was friends with that I loved going to see when he reformed the castle named Andrew Goldenhirsch. Oh yeah, Andrews. Close-up magic is like I saw him do something in the close-up room once that I could spend the next you know thousand years trying to figure out how he did, and I will never figure it out. And I'm hesitant to say what it was just in case anyone sees it. But. Yeah, I mean he's uh, Golden Irish. He looks like him. I mean he looks like a wizard. This guy. He looks like a wizard. I came up with him. He's from. Uh, he lived in St. Louis for a he has while this when I was long, coming up. Long curly oh, yeah. hair, this long hair, this really... Frank Zappa like wizard. Yes, kind of yes, vibe. yes. And he's just, he's such a soft, gentle guy, and his fingers are like they move like water. Like it's yeah. he's so fluid. Yeah, and also an incredible guitar player. But like you know, you walk out of a show, it's like I don't know if I didn't see a magician. I saw a miracle worker. Like yeah, he, he creates you know miracles. He he's wants to Jesus-y create an experience. In that way. Very much. Yeah, yeah he's very Jesus. And also, in that way. like if you find yourself at the Magic Castle. Uh, I'm sure everyone who's booked in the showrooms that night is great, but if you can go down to the the bar, go down to the basement, the Hat and the Hair Pub, and go see Mike Pashada, mm-hmm. who I know you've seen. I mean, yeah. he's he's just you know you're sitting inches away from him. You think he's the bartender at first, and then you're like, oh, cute, the bartender's going to do a trick, right. and he just fries your brain. Yes. Whenever I take people to the castle, our first stop is Mike, and if we get to catch Mike, I know that the rest of the night is gravy. So he's a he's a gem. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for keeping magic alive. Thanks, man. Um and uh yeah, I uh, come back or let's hang out. I'd love know. to. This was awesome. Anytime. Thank you for being here. And then maybe Someday you'll teach me a trick so I can become a magician member of the Magic Castle because I go, I want to go into that fucking library. Uh, yeah. Every time I walk by down in that basement, I'm like, oh, library. Yeah, library. It's I know they taunt you. Me. It's all limits and they to leave my the, kind. There's no doors on it so just to really tease you. you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I'm not allowed in there. And I was a juggler in college and I tried to get in as a I was like, can I get a magician membership as a juggler? And they're like... <laughs> No. <laughs> you want to go magic. to the juggling castle. Yeah, this, <laughs> it's much creepier. Oh, man. It is. You don't have the balls to get into the juggling castle. Those are for the French drop. Yes. Hey, yeah. hey. it all comes full circle. a French drop. All right, the end. It's Siphony. So fun. Thank you. Thank you. 
ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's gonna win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's gonna be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.